0: Amen. There's two large themes in in Romans chapter 5 that I want to bring out. I'm sure if any of us spent some time looking at it on our own, we would come up with other things other than these two. But these are two things I wanted to take a little bit of careful time with you this afternoon. I've, I've called the message Believers Blessed. For God's glory. We're going to be speaking about uh, uh, believers' blessings in justification. Justification is, is one of the large, large themes in, in Romans chapter five. So believers are are blessed with blessings that have come to the regenerate because of justification. Things glorious and wonderful have become ours and our privileges because of justification. And then something a, a, a tiny bit less intuitive, but a, a very dramatic uh, point that is made also here in Romans chapter 5 is, is, is how central the glory of God is in justification of sinners. There, there, there is this dramatic point made that, if I could say it in this way, God is the only one who can and should get any glory for his work and salvation. And and that point is made in a really interesting way here in uh, Romans chapter 5. So I'm going to read verse 1 with you, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 18 and read to the end of the chapter. Romans 5.1 says... Therefore, having been justified by faith, speaking of the glorious work of salvation in past tense, you who have been born again have been justified. But justification is, in in a sense, it's the door you walk through on on your way into salvation. Justification is the forensic or the judicial work of of taking the, the, the guilty sinner... And sin rests, the the sinners and the the sinresses, the men and women who are sinners before God are guilty. And when they get pronounced just, they're they're made legally, they're, they're rendered legally forgiven before God. And they inherit eternal life. Justification is a a courtroom reality. Having been justified by faith, we've been working on this concept of faith in Christ through Romans and 4, particularly, when we learned about David's and Abraham's faith. He says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification is, is the doorway into a person's peace, With God, and and without justification and the favor of Christ, without sonship, peace with God is not a given. The world loves to say and think to itself, God is love. He loves us. He's, He's so nice to us. But God's wrath has been revealed from heaven against the ungodly and the unrighteous of the world, and that's everybody. The Bible defines everybody in their ungodliness and their unrighteousness. The wrath of God comes, and it's a terrifying and horrible. Reality To think about So don't let people get away With the thought that oh God Just loves everybody And he's just going to open the doors wide To heaven for all of the men On planet earth It's just not that way Because it says justified by faith We have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus Christ So Lord Jesus is is the one by whom And through whom And, and, and the only way to actually have peace With God you know, when I lived in Thailand, it was the first time I, I ever had exposure to a country that had a king. And Thailand loves their king. And, and the, the, the king's home is a real palace. And there's palace guards and, and the military and all the officials in Thailand are, are devoted to the kingdom and to the king. And, the, and, and preserving the dignity and the honor of the king. And if, if I went to Bangkok and, and knocked on the door of the palace or maybe even just put my shoulder into it and tried to break into the door of the palace to go and see the king, what kind of reception would I get there? I mean, some men would be there with guns and, and clubs and, 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 and tase me. I don't know. You, you don't just barge into the door of the king and go say, hey, I'd like to see the king. How are you? So... Americans don't understand this kind of dignity and respect for authority of a king. But when you begin to get your mind around it, you realize that the son of the king is why you could expect to meet the king with peace. Isn't that beautiful? The son is the one who, when you put your faith in the son, you you share in sonship. And that is how... like us, rebellious sinners like us can have peace with the king. And so justification not only is a a legal declaration of, of your forgiveness, justification is the doorway by which you experience this amazing blessing. Peace with God is the one mentioned in verse 1 there. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jump with me down to verse 18. Therefore, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. This is introducing a new theme. This is this other theme I told you we'd be looking at here. As through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The blessings of justification are having been declared righteous, peace with God, for example. There are these blessings that became our our, our joys, our, our riches. And then we also see that Romans teaches that there are two, I'm going to just call them families of men. That, that was this discussion about the one man, Adam. Romans 5 teaches us about two families of men. And what has become obvious in the book of Romans by this point is that Adam and Adam's seed are all lost they're all lost in a way you could say that they are confined to their father's slavery they if if you're born in Adam you're born with Adam's slavery to sin and condemnation in Adam's sin now The interesting point that we're going to consider in Romans is that the gospel says that God has accomplished something in Christ. There there, there is something that has taken place in the Lord Jesus Christ that is very, very similar to what took place in Adam. Adam and the Lord Jesus Christ are on a parallel track, if you will. And Adam is actually called a type of Christ and so we're going to see some some patterns we're going to see some similarities that are taught to you about Adam and 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 what Adam's work resulted in for the rest of humanity Adam did a thing and then all of men experienced the fruit of the thing that's the pattern the Lord Jesus Christ if I could say it so basely so so lowly it The Lord Jesus Christ did a thing. And the result of that thing goes to impact literally hundreds of thousands of men and women over the generations to come. That's the pattern that the book of Romans in chapter 5 is teaching us about. Adam and Christ share the common power to affect death on one hand. Adam's work affects for death on all men. One man, death to many. The Lord Jesus Christ also affects many, but it's not death. It's life. The, the, the effect, the result, the fruit of Christ's work is Life. justification by the death and the resurrection of Christ, justification has also resulted in this profound fruit to the humanity that has put their trust and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to see here, What what I hope happens by the time we're done is you're going to see that the Lord Jesus accomplished something that that had so little to do with you, but it offered you eternal life, that all we are left to do is to praise him for the rest of eternity, for his kind work of salvation. Look at verse 8 in chapter 5. Verse 8. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Now, if you recall, it wasn't last week. It was about a month ago. We were were speaking about the, the state of men when God loved them. How noble are men? Is your nobility, is your goodness, is your admirableness, is the thing that is good in you and worthy in you, is that what motivated God to love you? No. See, if you recall from a few weeks ago, one of the questions or one of the illustrations we use is how sometimes a mother will give her life for a child. Sometimes a Marine will give his life for some of his fellow Marines. Or, or many examples like this, we, we see that occasionally there is a man or a woman who loves another person or other people. And, and because of our love for them, because of our, our willingness to sacrifice for them, we would give our lives. So what Roman said is occasionally a man would give his life for a good man. You remember that? That's not why God gave his life for sinners. And that was the point in in what we had studied in Romans chapter 5. Occasionally, a man will do that. This is not the kind of love God has for sinners. Your nobility is not the thing that motivated God the Father to put God the Son on the cross. While we were yet sinners, is what it said there in verse 8. Sin by definition is rebellion... And distaste no affection for the creator and the savior. By definition, sin despises him, doesn't think about him, is not interested in him. By definition, by nature, this is your heart toward God while you are yet sinners. Christ died for the ungodly. It's a different kind of love. It's not a natural human love. That's the point of those lines there. Romans 5, 6. When we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That isn't meant to exalt you it is meant to exalt the greatness of the goodness of god the generosity of god five eight we just read god commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners christ died for us five ten for if when we were enemies are you willing to call yourself an enemy of god before you have come to christ you realize that you and your unbelief are an enemy you're an enemy We like to think ourselves as neutral in our unbelief. Neutral is a much more comfortable position. But the Bible says you're an enemy in your unbelief. Enemies in our hearts because of our evil deeds. When we were enemies, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. Paul loves to give us these uh, comparisons, doesn't he? he? He's like, look, if, if you in your ultimate loser ness, in your evil ness, in your rebellion, if God would die for you and save you, what will he do for you now that you've been made righteous? Now that you are his son, what is the nature of his heart and action and deed for you? What is he like now? And and you're meant to think, wow. When when how is it? I was, I don't know how many enemies each of you may have. Some of you may have no enemies. You might be very nice people. But if you think hard and long, you might have an enemy in your past somewhere. And would you? If, if, if you gave the most precious possession you had, your very child, to reconcile with that enemy, if you would do that, once they had been restored to closeness and, and rightness with you, is there anything you would not do to show your love and, and your help and your affection for that person? Nothing. You would do anything once that had been restored that way, and that's the point of of this line here in the book of Romans. Reconciled enemies have nothing between them in the favor of our Lord. That's the point. Weak people. Weak people is, is kind of the theme. When they were enemies, when they were unable to save themselves in their sinfulness, weak people... Unable to not sin is another way you could look at yourself without Christ. Unable to not sin. Uncaring if you (laughs) sin or don't sin. This is man's state and his status. The gospel of righteousness by faith offers hope to the man who is dying in his sin. (laughs) It offers reconciliation to men who are dead in their sins and trespasses. Here's a point you may or may not have thought of. Men understand death in part. How many of you know what death is? All of us do. You're going to stop breathing, you die, your heart stops. But do you realize that death is more significantly a spiritual issue. If you died right now, you would be dead. Biologically, we could all probably, with the help of the medical professionals in here, say, yep, that person's dead. We understand biological death, but do you realize that death is actually a spiritual problem? Death is a spiritual issue, primarily not secondarily. Let me tell you what I mean by this. The gospel and I'm going to say the the, the whole bible in a very general sense I'm going to call the gospel for a second, okay? The the gospel teaches that death is a result of it rhymes with wind. death is a result of sin this is a spiritual thing right the Bible teaches that when you eat it you will die right but if you ask anybody in Leightonville, anybody in L.A. Anybody in Branscombe, anybody in Fort Bragg? Why do people die? Well, they die of old age. They die of genetic mutations. They die of, and you'll get multiple biological answers. But the right answer, the right answer is, look down in your Bible, Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and then what's it say? and death through sin that means when you say death comes from old age that's the wrong answer that's the closest approximation that, that, that denying scientific people can, can use to say where it comes from death is a spiritual issue Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus, it goes on to say, and thus death spread to all men. Old age didn't spread to all men, cancer didn't spread to all men, death spread to all men because of sin. Why do we die? Sin. Why will you not avoid death? Your your, your brother and your sister and and, and your mom. Your spouse. Your child. Nobody will not die. It's a spiritual issue. Romans 5.12 says, Through Adam came sin and therefore death spread to all men. This is a spiritual reality. This is the second major topic of of Romans chapter 5. This I've begun to think of it as the Adamic link. There there is a link between Adam and death. And and it's a strong one. It's an unbreakable link. And this, this, this truth here in Romans chapter 5 is meant to teach you to magnify the glory of God in salvation. It, it's meant to magnify to you the, the awesomeness of the offer of salvation, the awesomeness of the hope of life. the the first thing that, that gets taught to us in Romans chapter 5 is that there is an inseparable link between Adam and death. Right? It says through the one man the one man is the unavoidable end and consequence of death. It's also called a curse. The the death that we inherit by Adam is called a curse, sin's curse. We're cursed because we're an Adam. It's unbreakable link. So one man, Adam, is the doorway into same universe is too big. we're not really a universe. Men aren't a universe. We're maybe we could just be called a people into one people. Adam is the doorway by which the people, the nations have no death. That's the first part of what's taught to us in this section of Romans, Romans 5:14, nevertheless. Death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression it was the figure of him that was to come. Remember that Romans 5.14 basically said who was in charge of all mankind after Adam's sin? Death. Death reigned. Death was in charge. Even though even though there was no law yet. That's why Romans 5.14 says up until Moses, they were dying. It's it's the natural inclination of all religious men and all religious women and all religious children to say when we break God's law, we deserve death. That's the natural, proper religious way to think about life and death. We break God's law, we deserve death. But the point of Romans 5.14 was look at it again with me. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Moses means what? Law. Ten Commandments. Death was reigning before law got here. It's just proving the point. Paul is proving the point. Death reigned because Adam sinned, not because the law came in and you broke the law although Romans 1 2 and 3 prove with no doubt that you have broken all of God's laws but that is the result of your being in Adam death reigned even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression what does that mean you didn't sin Adam's sin you didn't break Adam's rule Adam was told, Doni, you didn't break that rule, but you die. Death reigns. That's his point. And all men, when we get the weight of this, you and I, what we should be feeling is the weight and even a sense of hopelessness. Well, why do we all have to die if Adam is the one who did it? I don't think that's very fair. I don't like this method. Is it really fair for everyone to die when he's the one who did it and not me? But that is, that, that is the point of laying the case the way it's laid so far. You should feel the weight of this. There's, there's a burden to this. There is a heaviness to this that makes us feel like, well, man, if, it, it seems like it actually must be true, but it seems awfully hopeless. It seems terrible. Men die in the sin that's inherited from Adam. The scripture says that death reigns. Sin is the gospel's explanation for death. And so I just want to challenge you one more time. Make a note of this. Think about this. Why do you think people will die? And in your conversations about death, what are you willing to say in terms of why why does your friend think he is going to die? Why does your daughter or friend think they're going to die? We must understand that this is actually a spiritual problem. The Gospel says that Adam's offense resulted in the deaths of many. That's what we read here. The Bible says that the unrighteous and the ungodly in chapter 1, and I'm pretty sure it's in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodly and unrighteousness of men. God's wrath is coming against Adam's progeny. So Romans begin saying the wrath of God is coming against ungodliness. Ungodliness has resulted from Adam's sin. Adam's sin in me and in you means the wrath of God is coming against you like a tsunami against a beach. It's just coming with a force that is, that is undeniable and unstoppable. So, Romans 5 is just brutally clear on this point that Adam's sin has condemned all men with an escapable death. Death has entered through the one man, Adam. And death has reigned and reigns from this point forward. But look at verse 15. One Adam, Adam, the doorway, the man by whom death reigns, is is now given a foil. There's a contrast. Chapter 5, verse 15. The free gift is not like the offense. Okay. The offense is Adam's sin resulting in the deaths of many. The free gift is not like the offense for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. So here's where we see Romans 5 revealing a pattern I alluded to a few minutes ago. There is a pattern, there is a typology in Adam that we we learn to understand how salvation can work without our own personal righteousness. Adam is the type of a one doing a thing resulting in bad for many. Christ is the antitype of one doing a good thing resulting in good for many. Those, those are the two similar things that we're supposed to see in Romans chapter 5 Adam is the type and Christ is the antitype Adam is the example of how look at all this bad that has resulted from his sin look at all the death that has resulted from his sin the antitype Christ who did a righteous life a righteous death that one work of on the part of Christ results in more than good for many. So this is the parallel. Look at verse 16, 516. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation for everybody. One offense Sin spread into thousands of condemnations is what that says. But the free gift, that is the the, the fruit of Christ's work, the free gift which came from many offenses, that is all of the sins of all humanity, many horrible, terrible sins, not the one sin of Adam, many horrible, awful sins of all of humanity actually turned into Christ doing one righteous work and granting them a gift of life. So the the pattern isn't isn't hand in glove. The pattern actually shows uh, contrasting almost opposites. The one wicked deed of Adam resulted in the death of all men. The multiple thousands and hundreds of sin of all men resulted in what on Christ's part? A great deed. A righteous gift. A gift of salvation and righteousness for men. Condemnation by Adam, justification by Christ. These are the two powerful truths that are closing up Romans chapter 5. So, the truth here, the, the, the thing that we are meant to begin to really take away and understand. Is how by the one, by the one work, the one act of God on behalf of sinners who were weak and could not save themselves and possess none of their own righteousness, all of this happened apart from them. Remember, it wasn't your nobility that attracted God to you to want to save you. It wasn't your greatness and your kindness and your worthiness that brings God to you with a desire to save you. What is it that, that attracts God to sinners to save sinners? What is it? His His electing love. His His kindness demonstrated while you were yet sinners. Man can't look at himself or anything he's done or anything he's thought. Man can't look at something and go, This is why God would save me, or This is how I got saved. We have to realize that we we are so far removed from this picture in the same way you are removed from Adam's sin. All you did to get Adam's sin was be born in the line of Adam. That's all you did. So what did you get? What did you do to get Christ's salvation? What did you do to get Christ's salvation? Somehow in God's providence, somehow in God's electing love, he looked on you and he saw you and he said, I will make myself known to this person. I will soften this hard-hearted sinner to myself. I will move the heart of this unmovable person to myself. To know me, and to trust me, and to love me, and to trust in the righteousness of Christ. This is a pattern that we see here in Romans chapter 5. And what we realize after studying Romans chapter 5 just a little bit here is that every man is bound to either Adam or Christ. Every man in the world is either in Christ or he is in Adam. It's very, very simple. This is what we learn from Romans chapter 5. You are in Adam. That means you're in your sins. You will die in your sins or you are in Christ as an inheritor and as a son experiencing God's favor. So look with me now at Romans 5, 18 and 19 as we... Work our way toward the end of the passage here. He says, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Righteous. So these verses describe a gospel logic. This is how we need to understand really the the story of life, the story of humanity. Why do people die and go to hell? And and how can someone be saved and live forever? The gospel logic here is what is being explained here. If you're born in Adam, you're going to die and go into a priceless eternity. That is one path for men. Or... You will come to know that Christ is the Son of God who paid the price of a sinner's death and was raised from the dead. And your faith in Him becomes your righteousness. Your trust and your faith in Christ becomes your justification. Christ is our righteousness. And so this is why many times you will hear the Lord Jesus referred to as the second Adam. The first Adam impacted all of humanity, didn't he? The first Adam resulted in the death of all men. The second Adam resulted in righteousness, the righteousness which is by faith in Christ. These are the two main men for all of humanity, natural Adam in the Savior Christ Jesus. Look back at uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 4 with me. Romans chapter 4 speaks of the faith of David and the faith of Abraham. So look at what David said from verse 6 just as David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. In other words, David's mind knew the Savior. David's heart knew the Savior, not thinking about his own righteousness, not thinking about his own praiseworthiness before God. David, in thinking about either being condemned in Adam's sin or hoping in the righteousness of God. Listen to how he worded it. He describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Quote, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. His sin won't be counted against him. He's saying blessed is the man where God won't count our sins against us. Davis doesn't see himself as sinless he sees himself with hope of salvation because God won't count his sins against him how is that possible how is it possible for God to not count your sins against you the gospel requires you to ask this question how Can God not count your sin against you? Where does he put it? What does he do with it? The wage of sin is death. The sinner's sins must be given a death. And the death is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how David even understood They could have the hope of life. He knew, he understood that the Messiah would somehow bear his sin. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. David saw the righteousness of another being made a gift to him. It's not spelled out in those words here you've got to see that the prophet David, he knows his hope of life is in his sin not being reckoned to himself. His sin must be reckoned to the Savior and he must be reckoned with the righteousness of the Savior. Justification magnifies God's glory. Justification, what what that means is, is justification turns your gratitude, your praise, your glory to God. Justification turns your hopefulness and your joy to God. Why? Because when you rightly understand the history of the sinfulness of men... You know and you believe you were born with Adam's sin. You were born worthy of condemnation in Adam's sin. When, when you understand the biblical history of sin and death, you know there's no escaping it. You know, you know that madness is death and sin. And you also realize, you also come to understand this gospel declaration That the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior, died with sinners' sins on him. All the glory gets put to the Savior because it had nothing to do with you. All you bring to salvation is your own sinfulness and your hope in Christ. Your hope that Christ's death is sufficient, that God would be satisfied with the death of the Messiah. This is the only thing you can bring to your salvation is your faith and your hope in Christ. And therefore, all of the glory, all of the praise goes straight to the Savior, straight to God who makes this offer open to sinners. We have the great privilege and joy of thanking God for taking away our sins and putting them to death on the Messiah. All men inherit death in Adam. And by faith in Christ, we have hope of life. Why does a sinner have hope for life? Why does any sinner actually have hope that you will live forever? How can you possess this hope? Did death hold Christ in the grave? This is the answer to your question. This is why every gospel presentation, every meditation on the gospel must remind you and must say to to the one you're sharing the gospel with, death did not keep Christ in the grave. This is why to deny the resurrection is to take away hope of eternal life. The Lord Jesus could not be kept in the grave. God is satisfied with the death of the sinless Savior. All of the glory and the gratitude and the joy and our hope goes to God who designed this gospel. God who made this way possible for you and I to actually have confidence that we can inherit eternal life. How do I know I could inherit eternal life? The Lord Jesus rose from the grave. If I stop believing, if I have no hope that Christ left the grave, then I have no hope. I have no offer of eternal life if Christ did not leave the grave So let's just consider a couple more thoughts as we finish up the chapter. Verse 20, it says, moreover the law entered that the offense might abound. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The law's work was so that sin would abound. You see that? Basically, Paul is not gonna finish explaining the gospel without mentioning the law for just a moment here because some are wondering, well, what is the point of the law? The law finally did come. Don't men break all those laws? His point is the law came to magnify, to multiply your comprehension of your own sinfulness. With no law, you guys are all fine, but as soon as the law begins to shine on you, on your mind, on your heart, when the law exposes you to the holiness and perfection of God, you see yourself smaller, dirtier, more sinful. That's the point of the law. Sin abounded when the law came. The law comes, sin abounds, thrusting desperate sinners more desperately on the magnanimous generosity of the Savior who would save men from their sins. That's what it does. It casts us on Him. Remember Indiana Jones? I don't even remember what those movies were called, but I saw a couple of them in my late teens and 20s you guys remember those movies you remember one time indiana jones he 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 fell down in like a dungeon type place you know and and he was in trouble it was a dangerous you know bad scary scene he's he's laying on the floor of this dungeon and and things are bad and then somebody dropped a torch down into the dungeon you remember that what did he see when the torch landed next to him So things weren't good when he fell. And he's laying there and it's like, how how do you get out of here? What a terrible situation I'm in. And then light came. And then it was horribly desperate in how bad the situation was. That's what it means when the law rightly comes into your life. If you take comfort in the law... You comfort yourselves and you're keeping the law and say, What a good boy am I? I haven't blasphemed the Lord today. I don't steal. If the law is your source of comfort, you're ignorant to your sinfulness. The law is meant to show you what a desperate sinner you are. When when the law came, sin abounded. We are people who so badly need a savior. That is the point of the coming law. Don't let the law be used to comfort you. Let the righteousness of Christ be your place of comfort. Let the the hope, let, let your confidence in God's accepting the sacrifice of Christ Let your belief in the resurrection be your source of hope and joy in the gospel. Verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life. Adam, sin, death, there's a a reign, there's a rule, sin, Death because of Adam. There's a reign. There's a kingdom. There's a family over there. And when you come to believe and trust in Christ, you're not in Adam's family. You're not in this reign. What reigns when you're in Christ? Life. The righteousness of Christ. We leave death. We enter into this grace in which we now stand is what we read weeks ago here in in the book of Romans. Why? Because Christ is righteous. Christ is life. Christ will not die. He lives evermore. Your hope will never be in your sinlessness. Your hope is in Christ's sinlessness. Your hope will never be in escaping death. Your hope is in Christ conquering death. This, this chapter shows you how to leave Adam and how it is you are in Christ. When by faith you trust in and you believe in and you hope in the righteousness. Christ. Adam's sin rules, and when it rules, death is his fruit. But grace in Christ rules in life. Men and women, every time the gospel is preached, you have the opportunity to ponder. Where are you sitting? Where are you standing? Are you an Adam? You look for death? You waiting for death? Or do you know? Do you know and trust that the Lord Jesus Christ died to, to die the sinner's death? So that when you die, you have hoped in Christ like Abraham. His faith was declared to him as his righteousness. Your righteousness is Christ. Your hope is in Christ. Your life is in the life of Christ. And all the glory, all the praise goes to the one who gave us his glorious gospel. Adam was your entrance to sin. Christ can be your entrance to righteousness, forgiveness, peace with God. Glorious gospel. Let me close with you in a word of prayer, and uh, we'll get ready for lunch together. Mighty God, I thank you, Lord, for the gospel. I thank you that the Lord Jesus took this amazing pattern of of being a link to death, and the Lord Jesus gave us a new link to life. We thank you. We praise you for the second Adam. Oh, Lord God, give relief and hope to the hearts of these men and women. Lord, may we trust in and rest in the great righteousness of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. (laughs)